Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office supplies at huge savings? Yeah, Digitex does that. D I G I T E X dot C A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Welcome back, everybody. Bob Stoffer joining you along with Brendan Escott on Oilers Now. It's 1234 in Edmonton. Momentarily, we're going to get to Louis DeBrusque. Uh, we're going to have a little bit of fun here for about 23 seconds before as we go to our Ashley Fine Floors text line. Worst 90s one-hit wonder songs. Rod says, right said Fred, I'm too sexy. You're right. That's a terrible song. Uh, Lee up in Lac La Biche says, Barbie Girl. Uh, yep, I'm with her. Barbie Girl, bad song. Bob, what about Icky Breaky Heart by uh, Billy Ray Cyrus? <laughs> Here you go. There's three more along with the Macarena. I've seen Louis DeBrus do the Macarena. It is not a pretty sight. The big man joins us right now, uh, as he does every Thursday at Orders Now. Louis, how you doing? How you doing, bud? Good, good. Did you watch that video yet? I have watched that video, yes. Yes. Pretty interesting stuff, eh? Sorry, I just I just got to crank you up here. You dropped off on me there again for some reason. But yeah, you know what? Uh, pretty in- interesting stuff. We're talking about the Kennedy assassination, obviously. Again, that we started off last week, and uh, Bob sent me some material to watch over the yes. course of this week. So I did watch it, and uh, very, very, very interesting stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Louis Nebraska's our winners now headliner for touchback safety. Touchback remains open for training and taking all necessary precautions to ensure the safety for their staff and clients. Louis, we were talking about songs from the 90s, one-hit wonders, some songs you like, some songs you didn't like. You were, you know, you played in the 1990s. Uh, was there a song that, you know, you'd be in the rink and warm up and you're like, Oh, man, I hate that song. <laughs> or conversely, was there a song that they played as you're doing the war where you're like, now that's a great song? <laughs> you know what? Achy Breaky Heart did come to mind, and only because it was played so much. And I loved the song when it first came out. You know what? The dance, all that, it's all great. But then after a while, you kind of get sick of it. I think that's kind of the, the yes. whole point with all of them. They all were great songs, or else they wouldn't have taken off. Um, but you kind of got sick of hearing them. You know what? The one that always got me fired up <laughs> was when that guy at the old Coliseum used to dance to that 
Cotton Eye Joe or whatever it was. Oh, yeah, yeah, jump, yeah. jump around. I can't remember the name of the song. But he'd get the crazy legs going on the stairs, and I used to always get fired up when he started jumping around, and the fans would go crazy, and they loved that. So, yeah, that was one, one of the songs that kind of stuck out to me when you started talking about that. I know the Eastern media like to have some fun at our expense. Uh, that was the in the range where I was doing uh, visiting stats and font cord for NHL feeds, and they'd be watching us during commercial breaks going, what is this crap? <laughs> right. You know what, though? That's what people liked about, it right? back yeah, then. Absolutely. You know what? We the people got fired up in there, and that was uh, that's all that mattered, right? Is that it, it touched this fan base here? And when we're sitting on the bench and we see people get up and start dancing and getting lively, that's you know that's all any player really ever wants is to know that their fans are into, they're having a good time because that's what it's all about. I remember uh, in the, geez, I'm thinking it might have been, yeah, it would have been 05, uh, the, the lockout year. The the Golden Bears were playing at the national championships, and Ben Kilgore, who's out of LaDuke, a pretty good player, real good WHL player, like 80, 90 points scored at LaDub, skilled guy. He got a penalty, and they're playing the national championship game, and he's in the penalty box. And, I, I, I you know, obviously I'm broadcasting the game, so I went and watched the game back that night. And he's laughing in the penalty box after he's gotten the penalty. And I'm like, what the hell is he laughing about? And so I, I called him up. I'm like, hey, dude, like, uh, you know, it's great you guys won and everything. But I got to ask you a question. I watched the, the game, the, you know, the broadcast again, which was on TSN at that time. And I'm like, what were you laughing about? He goes, well, Bob, when they played the song, that was my friend that was standing up dancing. Uh, <laughs> that's my roommate. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's my roommate. I, he goes, I just cracked up in the bench, right? I'm like, oh, it's funny the stuff that happens. So oh, the sheer stupidity of it all. Hey, Louie, uh, we're going to talk. Uh, we had George. We had big George on. Yep. Okay. Uh, on Monday, as you know, he, he uh, uh, like many in uh, Montreal, they're up around 18,000 cases in Montreal for COVID. Uh, Edmonton, uh, you know, 500 cases and one in the last three days, 2,200 tests in, in Edmonton. Uh, but George has battled through that. It's interesting uh, when it comes to the role of the enforcer. And George was such a, a dominant big man. But they're really, in order to stay and play a while in the league, you have to be able to play. But you've also got to, in that role, I would think, Louis, be able to understand your role and understand how to coexist. In the, and maybe it's an unfair question to ask a guy who did the job. But I know you felt the respect from your teammates for doing that job. Is that a fair assessment? Absolutely. Yep, 100%. You know, like yeah, and it's so important. It's vital uh, for me, anyway. If I if I didn't feel like the the players that I was playing with didn't respect that, then it would be really difficult, even more difficult, I think, to do the job. In my opinion, I I really think that. But at the same time, if you didn't do it, I'm sure they would probably thought you should have done it more often at times too. But I never felt that. I always felt the guys that I played with, um, I respected them a ton. Always had good friendships on teams, and. You know, any time that I would do my job, they always give me a pat on the back, and that's all I ever asked for. And I think and obviously, most tough, guys, most, most tough guys would tell you that. I think that's all they really wanted was yeah. for their teammates to like them, for their t- to fit in. I mean, that's kind of where it all spawned from, is it not? I mean, yeah. for me, when I first started coming up the ranks and, you know, dropping the gloves, it was the excitement of the building. It was excitement of the fans. But for me, more importantly, it was the guys on the bus coming up to me after games going, wow, man, where did you learn to fight like that? How would you do that? And all of a sudden I was like, hey, this is 
this is kind of what's going to make me part of this team. I like this. This is a good feeling. And that that's where it completely starts is that feeling of being one with the team. And that's all, that's all any player ever wants. Most players, I'd say 99.9% of them, that's all they want is to make sure that they're part of that team, they're pulling their weight, and the guys respect what they're doing. I don't think I've discussed th- this uh, documentary, actually, since we've had one of the guys on the, that did the document. Did you ever see Ice Guardians? Yep, 100%. What, yeah. What did you think of it? I thought it was great. I thought it was awesome. You know, some real tough customers in there, too, guys that I really respect. And, you know, I fought a couple of them. Um, you know, Eric Goddard's a guy that, you know, I knew I fought him a couple of times down the minors that I just, you know, I, we, we lost to them in Game 7, actually, was at the Hamilton Bulldogs. Uh, Rappy Torres scored the game-winning goal in that game, by the way. They eventually became an Edmonton Oiler and put us out of the playoffs in the conference final. But I, in, the, in the lineup, I said to him, I said, just keep doing exactly what you're doing, and 100% you'll be in the NHL before you know it. Because I would fought some really, really tough guys up to that point, and I kind of surprised him in the first fight, but in the second one, he was ready for me. And I didn't have an answer for him, to be honest with you. I was like, holy geez, this guy can throw both. He's strong, he's wiry, he's getting me at different angles. I was like, I can't. All I can do is, is hold on for dear life for the start of this fight because he's all over me. And I just knew that with his size, with his power, we, we've seen what he could do, that he was going to do it. But I, I think the documentary was good in one regard. It kind of you know, it gave you an insight as to what goes through some of these players' minds. Um, people are fascinated by it, and I understand that because it's such a, it was such a specialized role that people didn't understand it. People loved it at the same time, and I think it really shed some light on that. They did a terrific job. Well, you know, we've talked about this, you know, on the bus and that sort of thing. I grew up playing against a guy like Todd Ewan, and yep. and he and he was like the second or third best player on his St. Albert team. I mean, they had Viverosa was unparalleled at that age group. Uh, you know, was the major junior defenseman of the year, so that shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody. But you know, Todd had to reinvent himself when he went to to junior hockey and and carve out a niche for himself. And I know I'm going to guess you probably fought him along the way. Um, yeah, a few times actually. Yep. But those guys, I I just I just think I just think of that role, and I, I mean even even when you think of Goddard, uh, actually the first year you did color, was that not the year McIntyre fought Goddard in Pittsburgh? I'm it was thinking. the first or second year. It was the first or second year that he uh, caught him with about four square. It took him four to knock the big man down. Yeah. Um, who got Broke his orbital bone. Came, came back yeah. with a broken orbital bone and hit Chris Letang with the hardest body check that to this I've, day I still think is the hardest Chris Letang has ever been hit in his life. Um, how he didn't see six foot five Steve McIntyre coming in to lay that boom on him, I have no idea. But I will tell you this for a guy that didn't get up in the up and down the ice. With the best of them, he could get to the hit, and that's a skill set. That is a real skill set to be able to commit yourself to get to that spot, the timing of it. Uh, I mean, if you look at the the hits that he put on guys in the short career that he had, he, he punished some people with big ice open hits. Do you remember the hit on Dustin Boyd where Prost had to step in and fight him? Yep, I do. And that's another one where he came from the red line. I mean, that's a commitment from the dump. <laughs> you know, and that, that's old school. You know, that's how he used to play. It was chip the puck in deep. If you put a guy outside, he didn't dump it in fast enough for you. And you were going, and that's what the defensemen had to deal with. They were dealing with guys yeah. like us coming, you know, barreling down at 100 miles an hour or as fast as we could go anyway, maybe not 100 miles an hour, but um, and trying to lay a big hit. That was our payback on the defensemen for standing up at us 
on the wall. I always say, you know, rims coming around the wall. Back then, D's would pinch down, and they were looking to clobber you. That puck would come around. It would bounce around the corner and come into you. You wouldn't be able to handle it for a second, and boom. You know, you were getting crushed by a defenseman pinching down. So that was our payback. Our payback was when I chipped that puck in, I'm finishing you. How many times did you try to run Darian Hatcher? He was a big individual, so he was not easy to not easy to hit. And you know, he's one of those guys too that he didn't shy away from that physicality. I fought him a few times actually, Darian. I fought him in junior. I fought him in pro. And he was kind of in junior. He was he was six foot six, but he was gangly and he kind of didn't have the strength. And then in in pro, he started to fill out, get stronger, and he developed into that strength as well. So he wasn't afraid to throw an elbow or a butt end. When he saw you coming, he was cagey and smart in that regard later in his career. You had to re- really pick your spot how you hit him. Same with Chris Pronger. Very similar in that regard. Pronger was you know, a better player, but Pronger had, a, had just a real knack for protecting himself, and it always wasn't the most polite. It could be a butt end. It could be a forearm shiver to the jaw. Like A guy that's six foot six like that on skates, when he's up there high, Instead of coming down to take the hit, the elbows come down. And you have to be really aware of that or else you're running through them. Do you remember when Hatcher was playing for the Flyers? Uh, Lupul was backtracking a Maple Leaf player, forget who it is, and Hatcher was at the end of his career. And he tried to step up and hit the Maple Leaf player who ducked. And Lupul got it head on and got knocked, you know what, out cold on the ice and i remember greg millen was lighting hatcher up like what are you doing like and it was just the timing right hatcher was a little bit older in his career didn't have the same timing that he had earlier in the career lupa was backtracking hard on the play it was a colossal collision and a and, and when a guy's not suspecting to get hit louis that's often when the most collateral damage takes place those are the worst ones. Those are absolutely the worst ones. As Tampa's reminding me that he's the the security in the house, so I apologize for that. If you hear that, but uh, you know what? Hold on a second. Yeah, that's why <laughs> somebody at the door. Thank you. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Security alarm went off. I had to there you go. <laughs> how much yeah, you pay? Know. How much you pay for that security alarm every month in oh, dog food? We pay a lot in treats and dog food. Yeah, yeah, no question. He gets a lot of treats. But you know what? I'll tell you what. Uh, those are the worst hits. When you don't see it coming, it's there's just no way to protect yourself. You're not ready for it. And if you and, and if you see it the last second, you stiffen up, which I think makes it even worse. You know, you you have a reaction where you there's just nothing you can do. You go whoa, and you know. 
hopefully you can get the head out of the way. But most times, I mean, you're looking down, you're you're occupied doing something else. There's been some nasty ones. But yeah, Darian Hatcher was one of those guys that, like I said, it was a different game back then. You could get away with a lot more. The yeah. stick work, the infractions, the holding. I think the new rules when they came in, and you and I have talked about this, he was one of the guys that really struggled with that. He was a great defenseman. He was a great defenseman in that era. He was a valuable asset to have on the team. But I have to credit the defenseman a lot in, after the 05-06 season where they put the new rules in place where you couldn't even have your stick off the ice or you get a penalty if it was anywhere near a player. They had to learn just how to be more mobile. They had to learn how to replace quicker. They had to learn how to get back to place quicker. And they've adapted to that. And look at them now. Some of the best skaters in the league are defensemen. Yeah. Uh, you know what's interesting? Uh, and by the way, that's the live animal effects. Nothing will beat. Uh, a number of years ago when I was at a different show on Total Sports, uh, Ryan Rashog was co-hosting with me. And we had lined up Brian Sutter for an interview for the Allen Cup. And Brian was out uh, feeding the cows. And the entire twelve-minute interview, you could hear the cows moving well, away. It was, it was it was funny stuff. I, like, I heard a story about Brian. I can't remember what brother was telling me the story about it, but you know he got into it with a bull. And these guys, you know, I mean, just stubborn and tough. And you know, he got into it with a bull, and I'll tell you what, it almost ended him. You know, like yeah. they, those guys. Um, so I mean, going on to the, I think going on to the rink and playing hockey for the Sutter Brothers, <laughs> it was just fun. It was nothing. It was for, to them what they did on a day to day basis. It was like, yeah, this is like, this is our recreation. And that was when I think the league could have been the most nasty it's ever been. The stick work and the stuff they got away with. There were still guys not wearing helmets. I mean, sticks would get up every single hit. It was, you know, just look at the faces of some of those old guys, and the scars will tell the story for you. Yeah, uh, we we had Ethan Moreau on uh, yesterday, and he talked a bit, Louis, about, uh, you know, they built a bit of a culture with some of the guys who committed to either being drafted, you know, guys that were drafted at Edmonton and grew up in the Oilers organization, or other guys that had maybe struck out with organizations and come to Edmonton and started to get success. But he talked a bit about the importance of, of having guys that liked to play in the market. Because there were moves, some moves made yeah. around 2008, 2009 that kind of dissolved some of those tar- types of players. Uh, you know, you've played, you've worn that Oilers jersey. Is there something? Do you agree with what Moreau said? Um, absolutely, I do agree with him. I think that if you have players in your dressing room that don't want to be here, that's going to be a real problem. So, I mean, if that's what he's talking about, yeah. and that's what you're talking about. You, listen, I, I played a lot of different places. I decided to make this my home. I met my wife here. I mean, this is, you know, and I think it's really important. You have to you have to have that bond with the city, and you have to be proud of the city you're playing. And I, I always found a way to like every city that I played, and I think for the most part, guys do. I really do. I think once you get into every respective city, you find out the real positive things about that city, and you become that team. You become that team that's playing for that respective city and that fan base. In Edmonton, though, the difference here is um, you're going to bump into people a lot here. I remember when I first got here, it was not uncommon to bump into the same people every Wednesday, Saturday, Friday night at different places, and you, <laughs> they get to know you. It was a real personal, really close knit community. So if you're not if you're not liking it here, it's it's just not going to have a great a great effect on number one, the players in your dressing room, and the people, the fans. They're going to know it. Yeah. They're going to know that you're kind of not really wanting to be there, but. 
usually a tight team can pull that in and you just you accept that but you and i have talked about this before this is something that edmonton has to deal with you know when you look at the teams the national hockey when an unrestricted free agent is up for grabs yes you have mcdavid and dreisaitl and there's things that would certainly allure people to come to edmonton and play but there's some other places that from the outside looking in look look pretty darn nice and it's it's really tough to try and draw free agents to any respective city for that matter but Edmonton has to deal with that as well. It's a cold place in the winter, much like Winnipeg. Some players later in the career don't want to have to deal with that with their families. And this is all things that, you know, Ken Holland and every, any general manager that's been with the Edmonton Lures has to deal with on a daily basis, dealing with free agents and signing players. And that, it's always been a tough thing. But I do agree with Ethan. I think Ethan had a pretty good feel of the pulse of that team. And... He said it. I, I know that he's talked about it before. They were tight. They were a close-knit group. And if you look at the best teams in the league right now, any yep. best team. So when you listen to players talk about their respective teammates and what they like about their team and how tight they are and how close they are, watch out because that's a good team. Well, I think we started to see that a bit with the current edition of the Edmonton Oilers. We're joined right now by yep. Louis DeBrusque from agree. NHL. I agree. I, you really, know. I, I, I started to see that too, and I and I – I agree with you. I think that that's so important. I think it's vital. If you're not if you're not in it for the same reasons, if you're not fighting for the guy next to you, then you're going to have a real problem. You can be as individual as you want. I understand that. You have to do your job. You have to make sure you're doing your job to the best of your capabilities, and you have to do whatever it takes to get to that point. When the puck drops and you're playing as a 20-man unit out there, you have to play for one another. And the teams that play for one another, more often than not, come out on the right side. Louis, did you ever, one final one for you, just moving forward here, dealing with, you know, what might be the limitations with coronavirus if and when we get back and playing. If the players have to wear a bubble, and I'm serious about this, that yeah, might no, happen. you and I have talked about this. How, yeah. how challenging is, because some guys hate them. Some guys hate, you know, like... Uh, my, you know, I'm a little bit older than you, but we were the group that went from chin straps to, to wearing cages. And yeah. I know I some guys that hated visor my whole career. I, right. I would have right. had a hard time with the visor. I hated it in junior. We're not talking um, a visor. We're talking yeah, a bubble. No, right. I know. We're, That's what I'm saying. This is a completely different animal. Obviously, the kids from college, kids that have come in that have worn that before, will have a little bit of an advantage to start off. But I think, to be honest, also, Bob, the technology today, how comfortable the helmets are, how comfortable yeah. they can make those visors. You've got guys that will put spray on them so they don't fog up. That was the biggest issue. The biggest issue is always the vision. You don't want anything that's going to take away from your vision. Number one, to react to a dangerous situation is the first and foremost to be safe. But secondly, to play at the absolute elite top of your game, to be as sharp as you can possibly be. That's what the players are going to be thinking about. But they'll adapt. You know what? Listen, this is uncharted territory. This is all going to be new. No matter what happens, this will be the first time it's ever happened in the history of the game and the history of the world. So I think we can adapt to things if that's what's necessary to make things work. Um, that's the way I look at it. Obviously, safety is number one. Uh, and then after that, it's about, listen, you're going to have to just adjust. And that, that happens in every league, no different than the American Hockey League having certain companies that they had to use sticks for. Think about that. You've got a, a young player coming up to play in the National Hockey League, and they've got to use a, a particular stick because that's the contract with the league, which I was always against, by the way. I always mm-hmm. thought that a player playing pro hockey should be able to use whatever stick they want. I understand why they did it. I understand it's a league that needs to have those sponsorships and monies to be successful. I get yeah. that. But you're trying to make players the best they can possibly be. If they need a certain stick to do that, they should be able to use it. Just my opinion. Yeah, well, the Oilers had a guy about five years ago 
uh, come over from an Eastern Conference. He ended up in the minors, and he was complaining about, and he was a very limited player, and he was complaining about the stick thing. The now, stick I'll stick. tell you this. Now, hold on. Hold on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defend a little bit because. Well, well we should explain, Louie. Louie, yeah, we should explain. Let's... I think there's a certain <laughs> amount of players on the team that yes, don't. there are exemptions. Yes, there are exemptions. Right, and this guy maybe. wanted to take up one of the exemptions yeah. of a skilled player. So go for it. So here's the thing. There's always going to be guys that don't care. There's going to be guys, and I, to be honest, I was kind of one of them. There was one year that I think Barry Stafford and I used everybody's pattern on the team. So you know what? I could kind of get used to it. I'd find one I'd like. I'd try it, whatever. But then there's guys that are very particular, just like in any walk of life. They like it the way they like it, and that was it. They didn't want to use anything different. And those guys, I understand. It doesn't matter if you're Connor McDavid, who I'm sure likes his stick a particular way. Yes. Because if you gave him my stick, I'm sure, don't get me wrong, he'd still be the best player in the game, but he probably wouldn't like it as much. You know what I'm saying? And that's just the way it is. But I also say the guy that maybe has limited skills, that defensive defenseman, uses that stick for a reason. There's a certain type of stick that he uses for a reason, and that's his comfort zone. If it's a tough guy like myself that plays limited minutes, that really likes a particular stick, I'm all for it. I just think that you should be able to use what you want, and that's just the way it should be. Yeah. Well, you uh, you got in the range of the player who it was, so good job there. Hey, Louie, great job. We'll hook up next Thursday, okay? <laughs> all right. Sounds good, bud. All right. That's Louie DeBrusque, and uh, Louie today is our headliner for touchback safety. Touchback remains open for training, taking all necessary precautions to ensure the safety of their staff and clients. All season long, we have the Oilers Now Injury Report brought to you by James H. Brown Injury Lawyers. When accidents happen, go to jameshbrown.com. Jim Brown, Trent Brown, the gang at James H. Brown, they want you to stay safe and stay positive. Coming up at 105 today for Canadian Power Pack, Alberta's leader in electrical construction and service, electrical prefabrication solar, Louis DeBrusque. We just heard from him. We'll have Brian Burke up at 105 today. Off to a global news weather traffic update, Eileen Bell. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.